All right, so we're going to be actually in Hebrews 13, which is, if you look, it's the last chapter of Hebrews. <laughs> On the last, my last page, the next one is James. That doesn't mean we're going to go to James, but it means we're really close. But with that in mind, I want us just to creep back into chapter 12. <laughs> Okay, we're going to 13 and we're focusing on 13, but, but as I looked at this and, and know that the, the chapters, right, uh, those are not inspired. We put those in, the, the 13. And as I looked at chapter 13, these first few verses, it was obvious that this was directly connected to the end of chapter 12. And if it had been up to me, I wouldn't have put the chapter break right there. And so I want us just to look back briefly where we've been so that it leads us forward. And that we're not disconnected from that as we start chapter 13. So look at verse 28 of chapter 12. It says, Therefore we have received a kingdom and remember we are receiving this inheritance this kingdom because we're not refusing these words that have been spoken to us right God has spoken to us through his son Jesus Christ and if we have heard that message received that message this gospel this good news then we are promised this eternal inheritance right drawn it on the board this inheritance this grand inheritance this huge inheritance and remember we we zoomed out we changed our perspective we've been looking at life and going through life but this inheritance should overwhelm us even as we go through the difficulty of life and that inheritance cannot be shaken God is going to, He promises He's going to shake the heavens and the earth and what is created will be removed so that only what cannot be shaken will remain. What's going to remain is this kingdom. And what's going to remain are those that hold on to and that put their lives in the hands of Jesus Christ. That if we hold to Him, then we will remain. Then there will be an escape for us. And not just an escape, but an inheritance. This amazing salvation that we will fully experience. Our God, look at the end of verse 29, is a consuming fire. It's serious. It was serious then and it's serious now. Right? We know to approach God, to approach this presence of God for those in the Old Testament, for the priests, they had to follow a very exact process and these rules and these regulations to be able to go into even the temple where God existed, where His presence was. And then only once a year, one priest for one part of one day could actually go into the Holy of Holies. Because God was holy. He was a consuming fire. And if you were not holy, if you were not perfect, if you were not following His ways, then you would be removed. And it's the same picture here. And so to understand where we're going, we have to remember that picture. That we now are drawing near to the same God, the same holy, set-apart, perfect God. But he says, you're drawing near to my throne, my throne of grace. It's through Jesus. It's through Jesus as the great high priest that we can draw near. 
We are not drawing near because of ourselves. We're not drawing near because of what we have done or what we have will not do, what we've done or don't do. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And He is the only reason, the only way that we can approach this throne of grace. So look back to the middle of 29 now. So, let us be thankful. It's actually, let us respond to this grace and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for this inheritance that we did not earn, that we couldn't get on our own. Let us be thankful and show this grace, demonstrate this grace that we've experienced. Our lives, as we continue, should be an appropriate response to this grace that we've received. And it says, so we would worship, or we would literally serve God acceptably in a way that is worthy of God accepting, of a holy God accepting, that we're supposed to still worship Him in a way that's acceptable, in a way that He has described. Through Jesus, because of His grace, and in response to that grace, we're supposed to worship and serve God. As we draw near, through this life. So, what do you and what do we think is acceptable service or acceptable worship to God. Alright, Ashley, if you can come up, she's going to take what you say and put it on the whiteboard because as Elvis said, for a sermon to have any goodness, it has to use the whiteboard. Any power. I never said that Elvis did. Describe it. What does acceptable worship to God look like? Not fluffy words, okay? What does it look like? What is acceptable worship to God? Let's define it. Go to church. A living sacrifice. Read your Bible. What does it look like to serve God, to worship God in an acceptable way? Pray every day, Jason. What did you say, Elvis? Thank you, you're on the same page. Take care of the widows and the orphans. Yeah, mm-hmm. In other words, also fellowship with our brothers and sisters. Fellowship with our brothers and sisters. Anything else? Sing songs? Sit in hard plastic chairs. Forgive your wife. I'll check that one later. To consider God and all His ways. All right, so you guys are giving a pretty broad response. Is that what you really think? That's acceptable worship. 
Is that what even the church culture presents? Or is our worship focused on Sunday morning in a specific way, singing specific songs, listening specific words, doing this ritual? Is this like this this acceptable worship? If we're going to worship God acceptably, we need to figure out how to do that. And we need to figure out how to do that when we're together. And so now that we've considered that, and thank you, Ashley, for helping. That's what we think. More importantly, what does God's word say? That acceptable worship of God is. Because that's something we should consider. That's something we should know. As followers of Christ, if we're drawing near to Him, this is serious, this is serious drawing near to this holy God, then how has God told us to draw near to Him and worship Him acceptably? Right? If you don't know that, like you better figure that out because our God is a holy God. He is a consuming fire. And so we better worship Him as he has described in an acceptable way in a way that's worthy of him and that's exactly what Hebrews 13 describes so let me read with that in mind this what worship to God this service to God not how we describe it that how does God's word describe it Verse 1 through verse 5. It says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. You guys with me? Look back at the end of verse, or chapter 12. And so we'll be thankful and worship God, serve God acceptably, right? With reverence and with awe, because our God is holy as we approach Him. So therefore, verse 1, and then this list comes. Describing this acceptable worship. And I'm going to go through what I see as five different things. Five descriptions of acceptable worship and service to God. That we should be aware of, that we should wrestle with, that should be motivating us and moving us as we continue through life, as we continue through this life of faith. What would our worship demonstrate? How would we in our lives show the grace that we've received? Our gratitude for it. So first, and it was mentioned, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Acceptable worship to God is loving each other as brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters of the King who have received this inheritance because we have responded to the words that God has spoken. The word there is Phila Delphia, which means love of the brothers and sisters, love of the family. And love is you before me. So our acceptable worship is to consider each other before we consider ourselves and not just think about it, but actually do, actually respond, actually love. Continue to 
love our brothers and sisters. And that might sound familiar to us, but I would challenge us this morning. You cannot love your brothers and sisters by just sitting in this chair on Sunday mornings. For us to actually love each other as brothers and sisters, right? To put you before me, our lives have to connect. They have to be connected. We have to share parts of life with each other if we're going to love each other. If we're going to worship God in an acceptable way, our lives have to be connected. You can't come here and then disconnect. If you do that, if that is the regular pattern of your life, you are not worshiping God in an acceptable way. I am disconnected from the body. Okay? It is very clear. We're to be church-centered. Caring for one another. Sharing with one another. Encouraging one another. Challenging one another. And let me just make a quick point. Nowhere here is there a description of prioritizing your love for your biological, natural family is not there. We'll continue to go and you won't see it. But for you to prioritize and be focused on the family, my little family right here, and I'm focused on that, and I prioritize that, and that's what I'm about, and that's where I love the brothers and the sisters, that is not acceptable. That's a part of loving, right? Those in the church, possibly those that are outside, as we'll look at, but that's not it. And I'm not saying that's not good. I'm not saying that's not important. I'm not saying that we shouldn't love our family, but it shouldn't take this crazy high priority above everything else that I don't have time to love my brothers and I don't have time to love my sisters because I'm loving these people right here that I live with and that's it and that's my focus. It, it doesn't make sense biblically. It should be a part, but it should not be... The only. Our lives have to be connected with our brothers and sisters so that we can love one another. That's first. That's acceptable worship to God. Second, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. And let me just say, as I walk through these, I told Grace, I could, we could preach a sermon on each one of these five things. And more than just a sermon, I could do a series, as long as we've preached on Hebrews, about each one of these things, okay? I'm just glossing the service at surface as the author is giving us this list, but I want us to understand it as the original audience would have understood it. And if you get frustrated by something that I say, talk to me. Okay? I'm not going into depth and detail and full explanation of everything that I say. But what I say, I want to be able to speak and to encourage and to exhort and to challenge us. Alright? Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Now what's so interesting here is what we've interpreted as to show hospitality to strangers is, is one word in the Greek, one word in the original language. And we just talked about this Philadelphia, this love of the brothers and sisters. And now this is saying you should also have a love of the outsider, the stranger, Philadelphia. 
Right? We know that word. You're xenophobic. That means you're scared, you're fearful of others that are not like you. Whoever that might be, right? And, and, and I don't want to be around those people. But this is saying you should love your brothers and sisters. And then it says you should love the stranger, the outsider, that other person, those other people. And that idea of hospitality is that you would welcome them in, that they are outsiders not like you, but you would welcome them in, invite them in, and treat them as family. Love them like family. That's what biblical hospitality is, is this love of the stranger. I'll love you like you're my family. Even though you don't belong and you are very different and I don't actually culturally like you. You might be my enemy. No one you know would tell you to love your enemies, right? To love the outsider, to love the stranger. But that is acceptable worship to God. And it says, do not forget. The word there is more like neglect. Don't neglect this. This love of the other. And as I look at that, I understand that because you and I encounter others every day of our lives. Those that are not like us. Those that are not insiders with us. Every day. And if you don't encounter someone regularly that's, out, that's an outsider to you, then you need to adjust who you're hanging out with. Because we're supposed to love the brothers and sisters and we're supposed to love the outsider. And if your life has no outsiders for you to love, then that might be an issue because loving the outsider is acceptable worship to God. And you have contact. Then you have the opportunity to invite them in, to welcome them in, and to actually treat them like family, to love them. Those people. Who are, who are those people in your life? Who's there in your life right now that you are neglecting to love? To acceptably worship God you need to love that person. You need to love those people. That's second. Third. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Alright, this is the third description of worshiping God. First, love your brothers and sisters. Second, love the other, the outsider. And now it's saying, do not forget, or, don't, or continue to remember, I'm sorry, those in prison and those who are oppressed as if you were in prison with them or as if you were suffering with them. Put yourself in their shoes. How would you want to be treated if you were incarcerated or you had been incarcerated? How would you want to be treated if you were in a systemic situation where you were being oppressed? And it says for us, as if you, in both situations, as if you were in prison with them, as if you were suffering with them. And the only way that I know to suffer with 
as if we were with them together is to be in relationship with those who are incarcerated to be in relationship with those who are oppressed that we would remember them that we would care for those that are easily forgotten that are out of mind that have been removed from us that have been dismissed from our culture that are less than that we would actually stop and worship God by remembering them and not just remembering them in our minds and our hearts but actually then engaging as if we were imprisoned or suffering with them that is through relationships and so we should, as an act of service to God, have relationships with those who are incarcerated, who are oppressed, who are going through difficulties and suffering. That's what's described here. And you say, wait, 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 wait. Brit, that sounds like the social gospel to me. That sounds like the social gospel to me. My answer would be yes. That is a part of the good news. That is a part of the gospel that should not be dismissed, that should not be neglected, that we would actually respond in worship because of these words that we've heard, because of the gospel and the grace we've received, then we would love and care for and be involved in the life of the stranger, the widow, the orphan, and the poor because we were strangers. We were orphaned. We were without a family. And we were impoverished. Apart from Jesus Christ, it's by grace that we have this inheritance. And I would say that the majority culture church and the United States has a hole in the gospel. It's not a full, complete gospel. A life in a church that does not seek justice for and walk with the poor, the orphan, the widow, the immigrant, does not demonstrate worship acceptable to God. That should be a part of what we are doing. It's acceptable worship to God. And that is done in and through relationships. It's part of the gospel message. And you don't believe me? Listen to Jesus. Go back to Luke 4 when he steps before and he comes into the synagogue and he proclaims God's word from Isaiah and he says, I've been sent to proclaim good news to the poor. I've been come to set the prisoners free. The oppressed will be free because of this message, because of who I am, because of what I'm going to do. Jesus was about that. How can we not be about it? That's acceptable worship to God. It's part of it. And it's not just what Jesus proclaimed. I want to convince you of this. It's important. It's acceptable worship to God. Jesus actually says, and he tells this parable in Matthew 25 of how we're going to be judged, we're going to be separated as sheep and goats. This inheritance will go to those who have cared for the poor, who have brought in the stranger, who have fed the hungry and visited those in prison. And those that he's talking to, when did we do that? He says, if you've done it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've done it to me. Now come into your inheritance. Read it. For us as a body, 
to worship God in an acceptable way. Let me just bring it down for us right here in this place, in this neighborhood, in a very specific context for us. Okay? And I'm not saying your life specifically how that works. I don't know how that works. I'm giving a vision for us as it's been described to the church. And we should discuss this and dialogue about this and figure out, God, what does that look like for me? And what does that look like for you? And what does that look like for us? But I think for us, principally, in this place, we should be informed and knowledgeable about mass incarceration. And we should be informed and we should be knowledgeable about a broken immigration system that exists in our midst. We should be informed, we should be knowledgeable about mass incarceration, about broken immigration. And then we should walk with others who are dealing with, experiencing that, walking through that. As if we ourselves were incarcerated, as if we ourselves were in the middle of this broken system of immigration. And when you walk through that and you are relating to those that are experiencing that, if you do not experience that yourself, then it will change your perspective and we would actually be worshiping God in an acceptable way to remember those and to walk with those in those situations. Notice that every part of acceptable worship described here is connected to relationship. These relationships with each other, our relationship with the other, our relationship with those who are imprisoned or oppressed, they all, this acceptable worship requires relationship. As Ashley and Elvis shared, it's a life of service. A life of service. A life of worship to God. These things are a part. These things would be included. And then fourth, it says marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. It went from these general relationships and now it's coming down to a very specific relationship and how we worship God or honor God in an acceptable way through our marriage and through our sexual purity or ethics. How we think and how we respond sexually within marriage and I'll show you outside of marriage. For those for those who are married, there is no other relationship in your life horizontally that will be more impactful than your relationship with your spouse. God will use that individual to, uh, to edify you, to encourage you, to sanctify you. And so you and I, if you're in that relationship, you're in that covenant, should respond with absolute faithfulness in that relationship. You would honor that relationship. We would all honor that relationship and keep this covenant to our spouse that is acceptable worship to God. But just because you're not married doesn't mean you're off the hook. Because this sexual ethic of faithfulness is also for those who are single, those who are not in this covenant relationship. And I'll tell you and remind you that as Paul said, that is much more advantageous 
to be single as your devotion is not divided between your spouse and Jesus, right? Your devotion can be completely, wholly focused on Jesus. It's an advantage in your relationship and your faithfulness to Jesus. And so if you are sexually immoral, the word there is pornos. It means all sexual activity outside of the covenant relationship of marriage. Okay? It's not sexual intercourse. It's all sexual activity and interaction outside of the covenant relationship of marriage. And as I look at this, I'm like, you know, this was a focus as I grew up in the church, but they didn't put the bar high enough. Like, this is beyond what I understood. But that life of sexual purity in our relationships is a demonstration of acceptable worship to God. Because if you are not sexually pure, then you are destroying your relationship with Christ. You're being unfaithful to Him. You're giving yourself to someone else and not Him. You're giving yourself to someone outside of your spouse and Him. And to not do that, to hold to this sexual ethic that Jesus describes that is unbelievably high, that if you would actually even look, right, on a woman with lust in your heart, you've sinned against her, you've create, committed adultery, right? We don't, his words were crazy high about this. And we can be pure, we can be committed, we can be faithful to our partner or to Jesus Christ. And that is acceptable worship to God. You all okay for one more? It's a lot to digest. Fifth, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Love your brother and sister. Love the outsider. Remember the incarcerated, the oppressed. Have this high sexual ethic in your relationship with your spouse and with Jesus. And keep your life free from the love of money. And what's really interesting here is that the same word is used, the fill, right? Fill Adelphia for your brother, fill a Zeno for the stranger, and now this says a fill, and it's arguros, which is to not have the love of silver, literally. You have the love of your brothers and sisters, you love the stranger, and you do not have the love of money of things, of possessions. And I want to be clear that it's not claiming that money is not a priority in your life. It's not saying, well, in my heart, Money is not that important or a priority. It's actually saying that your life, your way of life, your manner of life would demonstrate, would display your priorities through your handling of and your giving of and your spending of money. It's not what you think, not what you profess, but what your life demonstrates.
Are we demonstrating that money is not a priority to us and we are content with what we have? That we're not pursuing it, after it, desiring it, thinking about it, and then considering it, pursuing it, desiring it, and after it again? I think that we should actually be able to ask one another, as we love one another, you tell me, what does my life demonstrate to you about my perspective on money? Not what you think I think, not what you say I believe in my heart, but what does my life demonstrate about my perspective on money? Does it have this place on me, holding me? Does it have a priority in my life? That is risky. That is not normal. But it's acceptable worship to God. To have a life that is absent of loving or prioritizing money over relationships. If you love money, your relationships are going to suffer. You're going to break and destroy your relationships. Your relationships with the body, your relationships with the stranger, your relationships with God, your relationships with the prisoner, your relationships with the oppressed, your relationships with your spouse. It will destroy your relationships if you prioritize and love that money. So does our understanding our description of a life of worship does it match what God's word says does my life does your life and does our life as a church reflect what's described here as a life of worship we need to struggle with that we need to be authentic with ourselves authentic with each other and consider that together it should impact our lives. And if you consider this, your life will not remain the same. It will be challenged. I personally, as I walked through this, I was excited about understanding it and preaching it and being able to sit here and proclaim it. And then I had this experience where I had to deal with number five. And I can't tell you the details of that and the relationship that it impacted, but with the kids that we're caring for, as we come to this season where taxes are due, and there is a reality that I am qualified to have a benefit from caring for them. So I would qualify for this financial benefit. I'm, as Trent told me, I'm entitled by the tax law to this benefit. And so I had understood that and I was going to take that opportunity to do that. And then I found out and I was informed that someone else within their family, these kids that we've been caring for, that I'm qualified to receive that benefit from, said, I'm going to take that benefit. I got a voicemail. The, the voicemail said, I'm going to take that benefit. I'm going to use that benefit for the kids. And I don't think that I struggle with the love of money. But I've already done the figures. 
And then I did the figures with that not included. And there was a big gap in those figures. And I'm like, exactly. <laughs> what? Wait, this, this is not right. No, I'm going to hold. No, no, I'm going to take this. This is my right, right? I'm entitled to this, right? But if I do this, then it's going to destroy this relationship that I have and the potential for reconciliation or restoration that, that, that as far as I can see, uh, that's going to be bad relationally. But this is a lot of money. It's significant. And what could I do with that money? And how could I use that money and redistribute that money and do great things with that money? And yeah, it would be helpful to have that money. And I started to justify it. Nina and I are talking back and forth and praying back and forth. And oh, this is like difficult and struggling with this. And what should we do? And how are we supposed to respond? And I come back to this and I just start weeping. What am I thinking? Why would I do that at the risk of the relationship? Why would I insert my privilege? Because I, I want this money that I wasn't even planning on receiving. And so my point in that is I might go through these things and you're like, oh, that's not me. Oh, that's not me. Oh, no, I'm good with that. I worship God in an acceptable way. And number one, two, three, four, maybe, you know, whatever ones you have struggled with, I would tell you that each one is an ongoing struggle because as we go through life, life is difficult, life is hard, and it is serious to worship God in an acceptable way. It is not natural, and so we need grace. How can we do that? How can we be so other-focused? Worshiping God, focusing on others. What about me? What about you? Who's going to take care of us? If I don't take that money, then well, what about what I would have done with that money? And will we be cared for? Will we have all our needs met? And then look at how it finishes and how I will finish. Because it comes back to the fact that will we receive God's words spoken to us? Or will we, as we go through life, still refuse them? It says, because... All of these things, verse 1 through verse, the middle of verse 5, because God has said, because God has spoken, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals, what can mere humans, what can this physical world do to me? Why would I not worship God in an acceptable way, loving others, serving others, this life of service towards God, when I know that God has served me, that He has me, that He is caring for me, that He will not forsake me, He will not leave me, He will provide for me. And so then, therefore, I can with confidence say, what in the world is the world going to do to me? I am going to worship acceptably. I am going to serve God acceptably with reverence and awe because He has served me. It has to come back to that. In my little struggle, I heard them like, do I not think that God is with me? Do I not think that God is for me? That He's going to care for me? That He's going to take care of me in whatever way I need to be taken care of? No, I believe that. So I'm going to respond accordingly.
We should talk about this. Don't listen to me and go away and forget this. We should talk about this amongst ourselves, in our household communities, in our sibling groups. We should consider these things together. And if you're unwilling to do that, you're unwilling to love your brother and sister and you're not worshiping acceptably. I've looked for every out to not do these things and there's not an out. We can't justify, we can't dismiss, we can't just focus on something else. This is what the scripture is telling us it is to acceptably worship and serve God. Get our focus off ourselves, focus on others, and worship God. Father God, thank you that your word as you've told us in Hebrews is like a double-edged sword that it pierces the joint, the marrow it gets down to the heart of our issues that it confronts us that it challenges us and that it will change us God, I pray that we would receive your word, that we would not refuse it. We would not dismiss it. We would not just begin to focus on something else, God, but that you are speaking this, you have spoken, and let us listen, let us consider, and let us be transformed. God, I desire that we would be a people, that we would be a family that would worship you acceptably in response to the grace that you have given us. Not following a procedure, not following a process, but responding out of the thankfulness and the gratitude for what you have done for us. That we would serve you with our lives, this short, limited vapor of a life. That we would not give up. And that we would continue towards the inheritance that you promise us. God, please do that in me. Please do that in my brothers and sisters. Please do that in this church, in this place, in this neighborhood, Father, that you would be honored, that you would be lifted up, that you would be glorified, that people would see this God that we worship and how we worship you because you have served us, because you have loved us. Let us recklessly love let us let go of ourselves and give of ourselves as you gave to us because you are a God who will not forsake us you are a God who will not leave us you're a good, good father and you have invited us in we were the other and yet you have given us a place with you at your table at the right hand with Jesus in glory overwhelm us God give us ears to hear this embolden us Holy Spirit to live this and to challenge each other in this do something in us that we are unable to do ourselves we love you Jesus in Jesus name Amen Amen